This is Molly Full Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert and financial advisor. What's your designation again? I am a certified financial planner practitioner. So, that? so that sounds. I, it's I kind of impressive. I'm, uh, I'm kind of a big deal. I am impressed. Thank you. <laughs> Ah, the holidays. It's a great opportunity to eat too much, drink too much, and have awkward conversations with family members. But those conversations can be important and productive. So today we're going to give you five conversation starters that will help you and your family members to get on better footing financially. Again, these could be painful, but at least more productive than sitting through your uncle's bourbon-fueled rants about, well, everything. We're also going to go on the hunt for holiday traditions we can steal from other families. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. The holidays are upon us. Happy I know holidays, this. Everybody. I know this because Starbucks tells me. <laughs> that's how you know when the holidays are around is when you can look at their menu or go into a store and there's just red stuff everywhere. It's very exciting. So if you're like us, you'll be traveling many miles to spend time with family, watching football games no one cares about, and eating nut-covered cheese balls. It's a fun time for everyone. (laughs) And when you're tired talking about religion, sex, and politics with your family, there's even more awkward conversations you can have about money. They're more important and probably less scarring. Well, I don't know, because it could involve death, and that could be scarring. Oh, no, these conversations are definitely going to involve death. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, the idea is that... Your family, extended or otherwise, is all coming together around the holidays, and this is a great opportunity to have some serious conversations about money. And so we've got five conversations here, I think. Maybe four. Four and a bonus. Four and a bonus. How's that? You're welcome, listeners. All right, the first one. So how we're going to introduce these is we're going to broach the subject in a way maybe one of your less tactful family members would do it, and then we'll give you um, we'll talk about it, and then we will give you a more refined and thoughtful way to bring up the subject, which is what you would do anyway, right? Of course. So, first up, we've got Cousin Debbie Downer. You're all going to die someday, so you better have a will and a good executor. That's kind of a downer. <laughs> that's that's your Cousin Debbie Downer. That's how she would introduce the topic and, and at please, the table. And please pass the cranberry sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably full of cancer it's, and it's, it's going to kill you. It's going to poison you. All right. So why is it important to talk about having a will and a good executor around the family table? Well, first of all, if, if you don't have a will, then state law will determine who gets what, which may not be exactly what you want to happen. And also, it'll take longer for the property to get transferred, much higher chance of having to pay lawyers, and much higher chance of family strife down the road, which will make the next Thanksgiving even more uncomfortable. Um, and, and there's a practical part of this, too. Any lack of estate planning on the part of your relatives probably will become your problem in some way or another. Uh, you might inherit less. You might have to pay lawyers, increase time, more hassle. So it's just better to make sure everyone is on the same page when it comes to this. Like, everyone got a will. Everyone, everything cool. We all set. Now, whether or not there should be like an unveiling of the will, like everyone gets a copy... <laughs> Is debatable, and there are people who do this. You know, the, the parents will make the copies of the wills and they give it out to each kid so that everyone knows what's going on, everyone's cool with it, and they can work on any problems. Sometimes um, kids don't get the same amount. Some parents might decide to leave more to a kid because that kid was more helpful in their older age or um, needed more help. Maybe the other kids were more financially successful and they feel like this other kid should get more money. Whatever the reasons, it's good to get that out in the open. 
However, sometimes, and I've read plenty of stories about this too from lawyers and financial planners, when you do unveil everything, it creates so much strife, you really can't resolve it. So it's kind of better to sort of test the waters, just sort of bring up the topic a little bit. And you might be able to get an, an indication of like, okay, this is going to be a problem if you are the person writing your will and you're going to be leaving the property. And you can actually account for that in your estate plan. So a will actually becomes public record. So if I leave something to these people, everyone will know it eventually. If you put property in a trust instead, that stays private. So that's how some people avoid problems. They kind of <laughs> bequeath stuff to people without any other people knowing. Um, also then, you might also figure out that, you know what, I need a no contest clause in my will. And that's the classic, you know, you get this $50,000. Um, if you challenge the will and you don't win, you get nothing. And you hope that hopefully that's an incentive to just make people happy. And talk a little bit about the role of the executor. The executor, it's a, it's a pretty big role because the executor's job is to, first of all, gather all the legal documents, the wills and the trusts, um, pay off any bills of the estate. So it, just because you die doesn't mean you don't owe that money. The estate has to pay up those bills. The, if there's property, it has to be appraised and valued. That's the executor's job. And then, after all that, the executor, executor has to distribute all the property. This whole process can take six to 12 months. Ugh. Um, and it takes a lot of time. So, every state has mandated a way for executors to get paid, and they should get paid. Unfortunately, that also can cause problems because that money comes out of the estate, and, and the other heirs might see that that executor wrote a check to him or herself. But it's, it's a reasonable expense. You want to make sure you get a good executor because uh, you want someone who's detail-oriented, a lot of paperwork, a lot of things to keep track of, someone ideally who lives nearby or in the state of the person who passed away because a lot of this stuff is governed by state law. You have to go to the courts and, and all that stuff. And frankly, you have to choose someone who has the time to do it. Um, so it's a good conversation to have with everyone around or at least you you know, pull people into a corner somewhere and have these discussions <laughs> um, just because you want to make sure you've got the right person and they're willing to do it. And is an executor like a, a lawyer or is it probably shouldn't be someone in your family? No, it, it generally okay. is someone in your family. And it oh. can be more than one person. Um, like many things, the more people you name, the more the chance there is they won't agree on things. Um, but it doesn't have to be a lawyer. It just has to be someone who is fair-minded, detail-oriented, um, and can get the job done. I'm at this moment going through like all of my friends in my mind, like a Rolodex. <laughs> like my <laughs> uh, my older sister is the executor on my mom's estate, and that is the right choice. I am the executor on my father-in-law's estate. I don't know if you made the right choice. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, to my darling friend Kristen, who listens to the podcast. I've got my eye on you for a very special job, <laughs> and it pays. So that's fun, too, right? Yeah. So we also have a better way to bring this up, because these are tough conversations to have. And for this one, you're going to want to go with the adulting is hard, am I right method? Wherein you say something like, hey, I just completed my will. Ugh, what a pain, right? <laughs> and then everyone chimes in, and those who don't, you know. You know. You know. And the other aspect of that, too, is then you say, and by the way, if something happens to me, this is where you can find my will, this is where you find my life insurance policies, you can find all my important paperwork. So they know where to go, but then that's it. And you can say, oh, and if something happens to you, where should, where I, should I go? Because you're not looking well today. <laughs> 
All right. For the next conversation, we're going to look to your drunk Aunt Barb. You know, you might get trampled to death at Walmart when they open the doors on Black Friday. And then your kids will be orphans. <laughs> Very this nice. is awful. I don't Very know why nice. we keep coming back to me doing voices. So bad. All right. What are we talking about here, Aunt Barb? She's talking about if something were to happen to you, someone has to take care of your kids and the money that you leave them. And if you don't designate that person, it's up to a judge somewhere to make that decision. So, of course, you want to get your input in there. Um, and this actually is one of the biggest reasons why couples don't get a will. Because they have this discussion. They can't agree on who will get the kids. So they just don't go and, and do it because they don't want to handle that tough decision. To which I say, just go get the will. Um, one thing lawyers always say is that the appointment of a guardian is never forever. Just put someone down that you can kind of agree and you can always change it later. All right, so here is your kinder way to bring it up. We're calling it the I was pre-law for a semester method. Here we go. Did you know that the courts decide who get your kids no matter what your will says? Crazy, right? Right. And it's true, by the way. Um, generally speaking, if you appoint someone to be the guardian of your kids, that's who will take care of the kids. But in some states, ultimately it's up to a judge. And if someone challenges that, it could be a problem. Also, in some states... Kids who are 14 and older have say in who will be their guardian actually can request a different guardian. So um, it's important to put that in your will specifically who it is, uh, but also to put in a letter of explanation about why you have chosen that person, which the judge will consider if, it's a, if there's a challenge. Plus, it'll help all the family members understand why you made that choice. All right, let's move on to the next conversation, which is brought to us by our precocious nephew, what will happen to you if you go nuts and you're no longer able to take care of yourself? Like there were these old people in Florida who thought they were driving on a highway, but they were actually on an airport runway, and then they drove into a pond. But they didn't die, but they drove into a pond because they were crazy. True story, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Happened in 1985 in Tampa, Florida. The Thank truth you, is, precocious nephew. Thank you for, going- <laughs> for bringing up a very important topic for and our re- holiday table. And reading newspapers from 1985. <laughs> uh, so the truth is approximately about half of people in their 80s experience some sort of cognitive decline that impairs their ability to manage money. So they start making financial mistakes, but it also makes them vulnerable to scams. And then there's physical decline, according to the Department of Health and Human Services. Almost 70% of people who are 65 years old today will need some sort of care, whether it's just occasional help with running errands or full-time care, maybe even a nursing home or something like that. Um, So it's important to realize that there's a good chance that as we age, we're going to need help and to get that straightened out now and on a family basis so that everyone's in on the decision. All responsibilities are shared, both in terms of spending time on things, but also the financial responsibility. For the financial part, what you want to do is, as people get older, um, other relatives, kids, usually in the case of parents, having access to the accounts just so they can monitor things. They can look for signs of things going wrong, maybe different patterns in spending, crazy investments, paying the same bill over and over again or not paying bills. Uh, And then the other thing to consider is to grant someone a durable power of attorney over your finances. What that means is they basically can do everything you can. They can write checks on the account. They can change your investments. They can do everything because then once someone starts experiencing any sort of dementia or decline, they're all ready to go. 
if you wait until someone is already starting to experience some symptoms, it might be too late because once someone has signs of dementia, they cannot sign any legal documents. They can't write a will. They can't grant anyone power of attorney. So then what you have to do is you have to go to a court, establish that there's some sort of issue going on. You might you have to get appointed guardian that takes time, that takes money. So it's better to set that paperwork up ahead of time. On the, on the health side, the physical side, the first thing you want to know is, are there any long-term care policies in place? And who who is the carrier? Which insurance company is that? And then it's a question of, okay, mom and dad, how do you want to be helped? Do you want to go to a nursing home or do you want to try to stay home? Which of us here at the Thanksgiving table can, <laughs> can offer help? And who's going to pay for it? Um, and what often happens is one or two kids take primary responsibility for doing that. And then that's accounted for in the will by saying, listen, they, they helped a lot, so they're going to get a bigger part of the estate. All right, well, here's a better way to bring it up. We're going to call it the We All Miss Paul Harvey method. I was listening to this radio show. It's really awesome, and it's called Motley Fool Answers. Seriously, really great show. And they said that almost 70% of today's 65-year-olds will need some kind of care in the future. What would you like to happen if you need help with the day-to-day stuff? Right. I like the way that's phrased, too, because it's not a question of like, uh, you know, it's not saying like, you're going to go downhill and I don't want it to be my problem. It's more of <laughs> what what can we do to help you if that happens? Right. All right. Next one. Next conversation starter comes to us from your brother-in-law, who's also a broker and hoping to get at your parents' money. Does that sound good? <laughs> that sounds great. So, uh, how much money you got saved for retirement? That's actually brings up an interesting point besides the retirement thing, and that is when you have, like, let's say someone goes with the brother-in-law and manages the finances and then rips people off. That's a tough one. Like when I talked about appointing durable powers of attorney, people sometimes, family decide, like, well, this person's the financially responsible one. We'll make him or her do it. But then everyone sits back and criticizes what the person (laughs) is doing, or that person does rip them off. If you want to see like a, a total celebrity train wreck, Read the life story of Mickey Rooney, and you may have remember he testified in front of Congress about elder abuse, and it was at the hands of his stepson um, taking advantage of him, and it's a horrible story. Anyways, but that's not what this question's about. <laughs> this question's about retirement, and that is uh, starting that conversation, especially if you have older relatives who are about to retire. The, the thing that I find most interesting is that people retire based on things that have nothing to do with whether they should retire. So I'm eligible for, eligible for Social Security. That means I can retire. But the average Social Security benefit these days is like $16,000 a year. You may not have anywhere near enough money to retire. According to the Federal Reserve, the, the median amount of money that someone close to retirement has is about $100,000. It's a lot of money to find like underneath your pillow, but that's not enough to retire on. So one of the reasons you have this conversation is you want to make sure that people are not retiring before they're ready. Um, this it, is a tough one though, because it's kind of—I mean, it's—is it kind of nunya business? A little or? bit, a little bit. Except that, I mean, I've, I've seen this over and over again. In that, with families, other people's financial mistakes become your problem. I mean, if your mom and dad retire and at eighty they've run out of money, who's gonna who's gonna help? You're gonna have to pitch out, pitch in. So. Uh, and it's been. This isn't really just a conversation for people who are older. Everyone, this is a great conversation to have, especially if you are in a position to help and give some good advice. A lot of people just don't know where to start. Um, so, start the conversation, see what happens, uh, and 
keep him away from your brother-in-law. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> Maybe you have a good he's okay. All right, so the way you can bring up the conversation, we're going to go with the we have nothing in common anymore, but we have to talk method, and that is <laughs> So, how are things going at work? You thinking about retirement anytime soon? I like that. That's good. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I think you can also use the stat of of how much people saved. I think it's something like a third of Americans have absolutely nothing saved for retirement. I have no idea what those people are going to do other than work forever, which I guess is not the worst thing in the world. That sounds like the I listen to Planet Money way of doing it. Yes. Could be. Bringing out the money stats. Could be. All right. We have one final bonus conversation to kick off, and that one is to ask the question, how can I help? Right. And a lot of these are tough conversations because we're private about our money. We're private about uh, all kinds of things, about who we're going to leave stuff to. And sometimes these conversations can be perceived as, um, you just want my money. Um, I've, I've been in that position. So I think if you ask, like, okay, so you, you get a certain hint that maybe someone hasn't saved enough for retirement, for example. You move it to, okay, what can I do to help? Sometimes people say, I haven't done my will because I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to find an attorney or I just don't have the money to pay for that. And you might just have to step in and say, okay, I'm going to help you find an attorney and I'm going to pay for it. Um, but once you determine how you can help someone and you're willing to help, I think you're going to find that people are much more amenable to saying like, okay, here's my situation. Um, I'm scared about this. I'm nervous about this. Pitch in. Sometimes it's a, just a matter of helping people like get stuff done. Those of us who are parents, which is all of us in this podcast, have lots of things we know we're supposed to do. We just don't have the time. If someone came into me and said, listen, you know what? I'm going to take your kids for the weekend. You and your wife are going to go and get an estate plan and fill out all that life insurance paperwork and get all that stuff taken care of. That would be a huge help. And you might be able to do that for someone who, who hasn't taken care of everything that they probably should. How can I help is also just a generally good question around the holidays. Right. Help do the dishes. I was just going to say, go do the dishes. <laughs> Finish the mashed potatoes. No one needs help finishing that. We all know. <laughs> all right. So those were four and a half conversation starters for you over the holidays. If you actually have success with some of them, shoot us an email and let us know because hopefully we actually are helping you have these tough conversations. Right? I think so. Otherwise, course. why are we even here? Why are we even here? <laughs> why are we here? <laughs> I'm going to go to Starbucks and have a red cup of coffee. So I come from a family that didn't necessarily have a ton of holiday traditions, and I've been stealing them from other people. Like, bro, I stole one of your Christmas traditions. Yes, our, our tradition is that everyone gets a new set of pajamas mm -hmm. on Christmas Eve night. We read Twas the Night Before Christmas, and then we go out and scatter food around for the coming reindeer. So we, we've done the pajamas, and we'll read a story and do hot chocolate. We have not done the reindeer food. What is involved in reindeer food? Oh, the kids make it up, and it's kind of different every year. It's like, oh, I think this year was like oatmeal glitter and carrots or something like that. That sounds delicious. And then after they do it, you have to go out later on and like hide it and stuff, because you don't want them coming out in the morning and seeing that it's still there. Oh, you go to that trouble? The glitter tasted horrible, I'm telling you. So we went around the pool and we asked a bunch of people for their favorite holiday tradition. And this is what we got. First off, we talked to Tyler Crow. He's an energy analyst here at The Motley Fool. And Shannon McClendon, she works in office ops. 
we're going to learn about a couple of their Thanksgiving traditions. Yeah, I play croquet every Thanksgiving. Rain or shine, no matter if there's a foot of snow on the ground. I mean, living up near Canada, that's kind of how it happens. We get snow. So, yeah, we uh, go out, pack the field down, and play croquet, no matter what happens. Every Thanksgiving after dinner, we all sit down and watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Then it was off to talk to Mark Reith to hear about his Black Friday tradition. I love Black Friday shopping. I got into it a couple years ago. I go by myself every year. And it's great for me because A, I don't buy very fashionable clothes, obviously, very often. But B, while the women's section is a debacle and just a battle royale, uh, for guys, it's pretty wide open. And you usually get to hang out with the sales associates who are all too happy to help you because you're the only customer in the men's section. And you end up walking out with uh, some great ideas and some great deals. Now we move on to Christmas with some traditions from Tim Hansen and Ed Gogren. Both of them work on our member experience here at The Motley Fool. Well, I don't know how unique it is, but we always pop those uh, holiday crackers and wear the paper crowns all during dinner, which becomes progressively more funny as people drink wine. Back in 2000, I bought a t-shirt and I gave it to my brother for Christmas, and it said, all I got for Christmas is this lousy t-shirt. And he and I have been trading it back and forth for years. I tend to put a nice present in the box with the t-shirt, and he tends to give me things like Chuck Mangione's Feels So Good on record, along with the t-shirt. So that's what I get. He gets stuff like an iPod. And finally, we learn about a Brazilian New Year's Eve tradition from Patrick Woods. He's a developer here. So for New Year's, you're supposed to eat 12 green grapes at midnight. With your, I don't, you know, I don't think if you have to do it with champagne, do it with champagne now. So it's supposed to be one for each month of the year. And you have to wear white. Bro, do you have any other holiday traditions I can steal from you? Uh, we we do the St. Nicholas Day thing, which is not as popular in America as it is in Europe. But it's December 6th. You put your shoes out, and when you wake up, there are little treats in your shoes. That's fun. What kinds of little treats? Oh, whatever. I can find at CVS at 3 in the morning when I remember to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, what about you? Do you have any good holiday traditions? Well, a lot of people do the Christmas letter to Santa. Our kids do that. Um, our tradition is that well, my wife's tradition, I guess, is that she writes a letter back, and it's always a very long letter that's all about the year, and I've been watching you and all, how good you've been. It's very sweet. That the kids love so It's the first sweet. thing they run to in the morning, and they, they oh. it's always on a long piece of paper that we scroll up like a little scroll, and it's oh. with fancy handwriting and little decorations. It's very sweet. They're going to remember that forever. Yeah. And the one that I do is trying to get them to bed on Christmas Eve is I'll go up in the attic, and I have these little jingle bells. So we talk about, oh, listen for the reindeer, and then I'll jingle the bells over their heads. The attic is like right over their beds, so they can just barely hear the jingling bells. Oh, that's so sweet! Oh, Merry Christmas, one and all! My mom's Thanksgiving tradition is that she wants everyone to go around the table and say something they're thankful for, and then we usually get halfway around the table, and everyone's just like over it. They're yeah. thankful to be done talking about what they're thankful for. <laughs> That's the show for today. It is edited, thankfully, by Rick Angdahl. Our email is hold on, answers- let, me, let me hold his hand while he does that. You guys. Our email is answers at fool.com. Send us your holiday traditions so I can steal them as well. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Fool on.